listeners, and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and it is the morning of Saturday, the 19th of February here in Seoul, and I'm joined in the NK News recording studio by Tom McDevitt of the Washington Times. We're here to discuss the recent World Peace Summit 2022 and the Universal Peace Foundation and its mission to bring about the unification of Korea and peace on the peninsula, amongst other topics. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to remind you all, please, to leave a review about this podcast wherever you can and to share it uh, on social media. Uh, and this is so that people can find our podcast more easily and we can get a bigger audience. Secondly, check out nknews.org and consider buying a subscription. Third, follow me on Twitter at JackoZ. Uh, for podcast suggestions and feedback, you can tweet us or email us at podcast at nknews.org. All right, my guest today, sitting across from me at the uh, NK News recording studio table, is Mr. Thomas P. McDevitt. He is chairman of the Washington Times News Media Company. He's also chairman of H.J. Magnolia U.S. Holdings, which is a corporate group that includes the U.S. Uh, the New Yorker Hotel, Manhattan Center Production Studio, Ocean Peace Fishing Company, and the Washington Times. Uh, he also serves as vice chairman of H.J. Magnolia Global Foundation, which includes the U.S. company, five U.S. companies, along with 13 firms in Korea and 28 companies in Japan. It's quite a full portfolio. Welcome on the show, Tom. Thank you, Jocko. It's very good to be here. It's great to have you. Yeah, uh, Tom, you've worked at the Washington Times for a long time. Uh, what market segment of U.S. media readership does it appeal to? It's generally known to be conservative, but tell us a bit more about that. Well, I appreciate that. And we're excited uh, this year is our 40th anniversary. On May 17th, 1982, Ronald Reagan was in office for about a year and a half. Right. The Washington Post was the only game in town. The Washington Star had folded about two years prior. Ah. And uh, the founders of the Times thought, uh, given the importance of media and a free society, there ought to be a second voice in the nation's capital. So um, 40 years ago, we launched. And the audience of the Times is a terrific uh, sphere of influence in America. Uh, it skews a bit male to female, about 55, 45, a bit of an older cohort. Uh, but uh, also we have people from all all political persuasions and all generations that uh, follow us, especially on online. So WashingtonTimes.com, in a sense, is our main product. We wow. still do a five-day-a-week print newspaper wow. in the nation's capital. And it's not an easy time for legacy print media these days, uh, anywhere in the world, especially in the United States. That's true. But, you know, Washington is a unique place and there, there's still a, a generation of people that want to read newsprint. And because of, you know, the Capitol, the White House, the federal enclave, yeah. uh, all the influencers in Washington, it's important to have that the, the print copy as well. Now, it was uh, founded, as you say, 40 years ago. Uh, at the uh, the prompting of the late Reverend Moon Song Myung or Son Myung Moon, uh, the Reverend Moon also uh, founded a church that is now known as the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification. I think the original name was the Holy Spirit Association for the Unification of World Christianity, which is where uh, it got the name Unification Movement. Right, right. So that that's um, uh, unification in a, sort of a more spiritual sense. But here in Korea, we normally use that word. Uh, thinking about you know two Koreas being unified, but it's also got this this broader uh, faith-based meaning. Of course, I mean th th it's a profound concept in terms of the role of unity, of teamwork, of coming together, even as an individual with your mind and your body, or in a family, or in a society. Yeah. Uh, in a sense, it's the counterpoint to the Marxist-Leninist seduction of of conflict, of the, of, of the dialectic materialism. And uh, and I think that's uh, an order of nature, as the Declaration of Independence and the founders of America knew that uh, the best reasoning comes based upon uh, natural law and and uh, our rights coming from the Creator. So it flows along that legacy of philosophy. Okay, uh, that the universe has an order and that unity yeah. is the way to move forward. You mentioned unification of Korea, of course. Yeah. Uh, whether it's from the faith perspective or the geopolitical perspective, the cultural perspective, economically, uh, we see the Korean Peninsula as an epicenter of uh, the 21st century, similar to Israel in, in earlier millennia, and uh, or Rome or Italy. And yeah. so uh, that's why so much attention is being put on 
how do we make a difference on bringing the Koreas together? Okay, now I do want to return to that theme, uh, but uh, back to media for a moment there. So I think the unification movement also has some other media outlets as well as the Washington Times. We certainly do here in Seoul, the Sege Elbow, uh -huh. in uh, Tokyo, the Sakai Nippo. Right. And uh, we've had previous uh, media entities in the Central America, South America, and in, in Middle East. You're still on uh, UPI, the wire service? No, that's, uh, that's uh, gone to another, another corporation. Ah, okay, so that's no longer affiliated Correct. with the unification right. movement. Okay, but it was for a long time. And we're looking to expand the Washington Times in yep. numerous different markets around the world uh, and different uh, product lines. Okay. Uh, now, do would it be fair to say that the uh, the different media agencies uh, promote the unification movement's agenda? No, uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, all three of those entities, the Washington Times, Segelbo, Sakainipo. Uh, are known for their reliable journalism, and they cover news and opinion like any mainstream media company. Uh, in terms of value perspective, it's a passion of mine as an executive uh, that a company needs to have a clear mission, a clear sense of purpose. Like Simon Sinek points out, the answer to the question of why. Why do you exist? Why do we do a media company? What's the purpose of it? And in that regard, uh, there are some real core principles or values the Times is based on. The first and most essential is freedom, applied to press, applied to government, applied to society, to human rights. Freedom, family, the importance of family, strong families, uh, faith, the respect of, of religious freedom, freedom of conscience, and then service, living for the sake of others, the role, the calling of journalism as opposed to celebrity journalism or you know, drawing attention to the author of a story mm. is serving the public with a real true sense of mission. Uh, and, and then uh, finally, uh, a sense of participation and engagement, which I'd simply uh, like to use the term citizenship. The Washington Times exists to inform and enable citizens to make the right decision. So freedom, family, faith, service, citizenship, are the uh, the core pillar values, if you will. In terms of representing uh, any particular faith body, no, we cover all kinds of uh, issues in the social domestic side, uh, but the uh, the purpose is not to represent the uh, Family Federation. Now, on episode 141 of this podcast, uh, released in August 2020, so gosh, it's almost two years ago, I had our mutual friend Michael Breen oh, uh, on the show mm -hmm. to talk about his time reporting on North Korea. He used to write for the Washington Times sure back did. in the 80s and 90s, uh, and he had several meetings with uh, Kim Il-sung. Uh, he also talked about the meeting that took place just over 30 years ago in North Korea between Reverend Moon uh, and President Kim Il-sung at the time. It was a, quite a historic meeting. I encourage our listeners to go back and listen to uh, him talk about that. Uh, but Tom, thinking about both men, Reverend Moon and President Kim, the, late Kim Il-sung, they have a few things in common. They both started and ran their own organizations, one a country and the other a church and, and ultimately business conglomerate. Uh, they instilled a very strong sense of loyalty in their followers. Uh, both were born in what is today North Korea. Uh, and they both saw themselves as uniquely chosen by God or history, or both, uh, to lead the Korean people and perhaps even the world to a brighter future. Uh, and they're both you know, somewhat controversial figures. Uh, I think that's fair to say. But for decades, they really hated each other. They had a very strong uh, dislike of each other. And Moon especially was known for his denunciations of communism around the world. And, and we see that, uh, uh, as you said, uh, you know, freedom is still a, a strong part of the, uh, the mission behind the Washington Times. And now Mike Green talked, told a little bit about how they came together to meet in, in December 1991. But what did they see in each other? Did they recognize kindred spirits when they met, do you think? I think that's a fascinating question. And I have the greatest respect for Mike Breen. His book, uh, The New Koreans, I think is a must read for yeah. anyone who pays attention to what's going on in this part of the world. Yeah, also his biography of Kim Jong-il before it became that's right. fashionable. That's right, yeah. that's right. The, the visit that took place in 1991 was, it was remarkable in a lot of ways. Prior to that, not only were they uh, adversaries in terms of freedom versus communism, uh, et cetera, but uh, Reverend Moon ended up being in uh, Hangnam prison for almost three years, yeah. a death camp. And that was the decision that came from Kim Il-sung. 
So what you have here is, you know, in a way, I like to put it in terms of biblical proportions. You have these arch enemies, and the reverend is reaching out, you know, in terms of how Jesus looked at the world of loving your enemy, right? So it, it was him and his wife, uh, Dr. Hak Chahan Moon, who visited North Korea, didn't know if they'd get out, if they'd return. And the purpose was to engage heart to heart and uh, in looking at the accounts of what was said and uh, colleagues of mine were there, uh, including my sister-in-law. Ah, okay, uh, but you yourself were not there. I, I was not there, okay. unfortunately. But uh, the accounts of the conversation of what did Reverend Moon say yeah. across the table yeah. to Kim Il-sung, I think that's something people need to pay attention to because he was straight, clear, forceful in his sense of uh, truth, uh, challenging the Juche philosophy, right? You know, straight to the heart of it, Jaco, of it's not going to work. Why? Because it's based upon a false premise. What's that? Materialism. Human beings are not simply animals or, or physical beings, that there's a spiritual nature to reality. And uh, he challenged Kim Il-sung to uh, open up, to allow religious freedom, to allow freedom of assembly in the press. Can you imagine that? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you even raise a criticism of Kim, yeah. uh, Kim Il Sung, you know, or, or Kim Jong Un in these days, you know, you're off to someplace unfortunate. So I, I have to say, in looking back over that time, and it's 30 years ago. This mm. is a, a proper time to reflect on it and learn from it. It was extraordinary, an extraordinary opportunity. Brings up what you know, what uh, what President Donald Trump did with Kim Jong Un. Wow. The, the whole idea of engaging, but... Uh, How did Kim respond? What did he say back to, to this you know, criticism? Of course, I wasn't there, but it was, it was um, uh, an engagement. They ended up, uh, I guess, the best way to answer that question yeah. is what preceded, what was the outcome of those meetings? Right. There were a number of points that were agreed upon, certain kind of an MOU or letter of intent yeah. uh, of, uh, you know, to work together on certain things to foster tourism, to foster right. trade. As you probably are aware, uh, the Reverend eventually went on to open up, I mean, our business interests, uh, Pyonghua Motors, yes. a hotel. We started to build uh, economic... Uh, I think the Botonggang Hotel. That's right. Uh, in Pyongyang and, and Pyonghua Motors. Pyonghua Motors, is that still owned by the it, unification movement? No, we, we uh, ended up uh, handing that over to the North Koreans. Okay. Uh, that was Dr. Dr. Hak Chan Moon's decision. So it's... I think that was wise and, and right. uh, let them run it. But uh, beyond that, uh, in terms of the economic development of North Korea, which is so vital, yeah. um, uh, we're you know, in the World Summit that just occurred. Uh, one of our uh, regular keynote speakers is our good friend Jim Rogers, right. whose story, I think, uh, gets headlines because he paints the picture that the hottest place on the planet to invest once the 38th parallel comes down will be the Korean Peninsula. And so uh, he kind of follows along the legacy that economic development is so essential. So I, I applaud what, what Reverend Moon did in those days. Um, it was certainly uh, counterintuitive and countercultural, bold, mm. but uh, it expressed, I think, in a most unique way, Jocko, uh, this whole th idea of how to engage the enemy and turn the enemy into someone who is uh, a, a lost brother, so right. to speak. Yeah, I recall Mike Green saying that they uh, they got on quite well with each other, and there's even a photograph of the two of them holding hands yes, as a sign of right, intimacy. Right, so right. Uh, I wonder, yeah, if they sort of recognized some similarities in each other. I think it's, there's no question. I think there's no question. I mean, you can see that in the body language. But further, yeah. since that time, uh, when uh, anniversaries occur, birthdays occur, yeah. North Korea sends flowers uh, to commemorate uh, the Reverend's passing. This coming. Uh, summer will be the tenth anniversary. Right, of and did they they sent a condolence message or I some was flowers? There last three or four years, yeah. I mean, prior to the COVID pandemic, yeah, I was there. I saw, I saw. It was amazing. Right. A note from Kim Jong Un and from Kim Jong Un. Yeah, I mean, from from uh, Kim and and, uh, and a bouquets of flowers, right. quite grand. And that's even though there's no longer uh, active investment by the unification movement in in North Korea. Their their humanitarian efforts, given. The, the limitations of, of cross-border interactions. Sure. But yeah, I think we're looking for yeah. opportunities that uh, help bring North Korea into the international community.
And when those opportunities open up with guidance and help from people like Mr. Rogers and others around the world, we, we, we see a, a, a great uh, and significant meaning to prompting economic development in the North. Now, studying North Korea and understanding Reverend Moon's movement uh, have something in common in that there are many organizations and affiliates and sister organizations and names sometimes change and sometimes new projects are started and older ones are folded. So it, it can be a bit dizzying. You need sometimes a big organizational chart like the organizational chart that NK News uh, produced. It may still we may still have it on sale. You can find it at nknews.org slash shop, the organizational chart of North Korea. In the 1990s, there was the Tongil Group, which was uh, ranked number 35 in size among South Korean Chebol or conglomerates, mm -hmm. uh, which was responsible for all this business with North Korea um, that you mentioned, and also it did some heavy, heavy industry uh, with the blessing of the South Korean government. Uh, but then came the Asian financial crisis, and, and now we don't hear about the Tongil Group so much anymore. Can you help us to understand uh, that part of the unification movement that deals with North Korea? What are the different organizations and the different activities? Well, let's let's go back to the Tongil Group. It's uh, under a new brand, HJ Magnolia Korea. Okay. And I would now first, I want to uh, uh, make a pitch for North for NK News. By the way, thank you. I have been a subscriber, I think, for three or four years, and I think the the work that you people do is is essential for anyone paying attention to this part of the world. So congratulations thank on you. that, uh, and uh, on the podcast as well. But in terms of Tongil Group. It's H.J. Magnolia Korea. That's 13 different companies. Of course, we have Sege Elbo at uh, the Young Pyong Resort where the Pyeongchang uh, uh, Alpine Slalom was uh, done. Pine Ridge Golf Course, a resort down in the southern part of the country, doing quite well. Um, machining, uh, construction, Ilwa Ginseng. My counterpart here, Mr. Jerry Willis, Gerard Willis, was uh, formerly with Honeywell as General Counsel of Asia lived in China for a number of years, a terrific executive. I'd encourage you to have him on air to give you an overview of where the companies are at. Yeah. Uh, and we collaborate quite a bit. In terms of the North Korea matter, right. the, um, I think the, the most important organization now globally is the Universal Peace Federation. Okay. And that's the NGO that has consultative status, general consultative status at the UN, founded in, uh, by the Reverend and Mrs. Moon in 2005. People in, uh, I'm going to say it's 180, 185 countries now where chapters or entities are, are working there. And that's been the primary uh, platform to engage uh, the Korean Peninsula, both north and south. And what's most interesting here is the multifaceted, I'd call it a grand strategy approach. Not only grand strategy, but an enlightened approach meaning there's a sense of spirituality and tran transcendent values, not simply the military, economic, political side of the coin. I think that's so essential because you're dealing with humanity. So UPF then launched uh, with Dr. Hak Jahan Moon's uh, involvement, and I think it was a stroke of genius. And I think you saw it when you came to the conference a couple days ago. Seven different associations that cover the core areas of culture and in, in society, elected officials at the, at the executive level, a whole network of heads of state, a network of parliamentarians, over 6,000 incumbent parliamentarians from these 160 some countries, uh, the media, which I uh, help organize, the International Media Association for Peace, which we'd invite NK News to certainly consider uh, partnering and being uh, cross-fertilizing all of that, a business network, the International Association for Peace and Economic Development. Jim Rogers has been involved there. And these are investors, corporate heads, uh, business school professors all over the world who care about a corporate approach to leadership that profits are for the sake of a higher purpose than just, just for the shareholder. Uh, there's an academic network, thousands of, of academics, multidisciplinary, uh, a, a network of people in the arts, and of course, the faith side, interfaith. And when you put those seven channels together, it's so amazing to see what happens. And the cross-fertilizing and the synergy. The interesting thing that Dr. Hak Jahan Moon has done, and I really applaud her for this, is drive this focus, this true north compass setting, that we can make a difference as the global community on dealing with the Korean Peninsula. And that's what's going to take civil society, multifaceted, 
working with the public sector, working with communications over the long term to create the environment that is irresistible for the North to go through a transformation. So you mentioned that there are uh, heads of state, there are parliamentarians. Uh, does the, uh, the Universal Peace Federation work together with, uh, with the governments of, of South Korea and, and North Korea? Of course. Uh, we work closely with, starting in the National Assembly, um, uh, several of my colleagues are very involved there with uh, leaders on, both, on all the different parties. Uh, the Speaker of the House, of course, was uh, involved in the World Summit with some meetings. And um, uh, there have been ongoing programs, go back 10, 15 years, uh, of reaching, providing opportunities to in, engage elected officials at the, uh, at the parliamentarian level, uh, as well as the Blue House and different ministries, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, et cetera. One of the interesting things we've done in the past, which might be of interest, I think, to uh, your colleagues at NK News, are Washington Times-based fact-finding trips. We did this in the Cold War, took Western reporters behind the Iron Curtain uh, in, in the Soviet Union and in China. Uh, we've held uh, about 15 of those with uh, journalists from, from the U.S., along with former people in the intelligence community and elected officials, members of Congress, current and former, coming to Seoul, Tokyo, et cetera, engaging with counterparts here. We look forward at some point to holding uh, a world summit, as you saw uh, right. here in town, someday in Beijing, someday in Pyongyang. And I think the more open the North can be to uh, allow for discourse outside of its uh, closed ranks, the healthier it will become and the better it will be. Now, the, uh, the unification movement is known for being anti-communist and close to the conservative side of U.S. politics. How is it that at the same time, there's strongly pro-engagement with North Korea, which is not often something that conservative people uh, are in favor of. How do we square that circle? Well, I think it's all based on a matter of uh, your view of humanity, your view of life, without a doubt. And let me start here. And I think this is a, a fabulous billion-dollar brand idea. And it came from Dr. Dr. Hakchan, is looking at the world as a family of nations, using the family model as a, as a paradigm. In that sense, you're looking at North Korea not as the enemy, but as, a, as, a, as brothers and sisters of a family that are separated. They're guided or driven by a view of life that we see to be counterproductive. And yet, how do you change that? It's by embracing, engaging, certainly peace through strength, a la Ronald Reagan, is a, is a guiding principle. Uh, America needs to be strong. So does South Korea and as well as the Quad and the other allies, mm -hmm. uh, and especially in light of the growth of China. But squaring that, what might seem as a contradiction, is simple. It's the only way through this horrendous uh, problem that North Korea sets up is to engage it and pull the North Korea, uh, pull, pull the society into the international community. So Is that difficult sometimes when writing for conservative audiences or talking to conservative people to convince them or persuade them of the importance of engagement with North Korea when often, you know, we hear from conservatives that the best thing to do is to, uh, to squeeze North Korea until it, uh, until it concedes? Well, I, let's look at what happened during the four years of, of the Trump administration. Well, I was going to say that you're probably in I favor mean, of, of his approach, I'm well, guessing, I mean, it which was, was not a standard. We were covering the news. Yeah. And, and what was newsworthy about it is that he broke the paradigm. He did break the paradigm. Of a global leader, uh, you know, uh, of the a top superpower in the world, engaging Kim Jong-un and building, as Secretary Pompeo said just a couple days ago, yeah. here in Seoul at the World Summit Conference, he talked about the importance of personal engagement. That's, there's no excuse for it. Uh, and so uh, there's no way to, to move things in the global scale without that. And I think uh, Mr. Trump was successful in that regard. Um, at the same time, there's the carrot and the stick side of the coin, and uh, and and the sanctions are still in place. Mm. But I think that uh, more and more, uh, the global community has a very big voice to to share. And I want to add one point that was consistent at the World Summit. Uh, Mr. Pompeo, uh, Vice President Pence, Secretary Esper, former head of the uh, Defense Department, right. 
uh, Speaker Newt Gingrich uh, in terms of the U.S. delegation. Yeah. And they all spoke about this along with Secretary General, former Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, Prime Minister Hun Sen from Cambodia, and several dozen other heads of states that came on video. And here was the key point. 157 countries today have diplomatic ties with either the North or South Korea. And we uh, invited the heads of state of all those countries. Uh, we were grateful that Prime Minister Hun Sen of Cambodia and Ban Ki-moon co-signed the invitation letter to the head of state of all these countries. A high percentage of them responded. There wasn't a lot of time. Travel was very difficult, yeah. COVID restrictions, et cetera. But it's a fascinating framework of a global community of people that have relevance on the Korean Peninsula, beginning to move as as a, as a com with a common set of a common set of directions or or guidelines or you know a compass setting, if you will, a vision that together we can make a difference. Now, what does that mean practically? Uh, imagine Prime Minister Hun Sen, who has ties with North Korea, and you know the history, of course, with Prince Sinok and yeah, Kim Il Sung. Prince lived for a couple of years in a, in a very nice mansion a, in North Korea, built well, for him. Right. We could say there there are deep cultural ties, right. to say the least, between the DPRK and the Kingdom of Cambodia. Yeah. So messages get passed, influence gets transmitted, mindsets can start to change, because there's a safe communication channel there. Not only there, but also with Nepal and with other countries that. Uh, uh, that the UPF group works with. I like the concept, Jocko, of uh, what is called headwing. And what I mean by headwing is neither right-wing or left-wing perspectives, but a more parental view that's broader and more transcendent, taking in the benefit and value of both sides of the political spectrum uh, with, a, with a higher end in mind. And so I think that's, that expresses the tone of how we like to approach things. Is, uh, is human rights in North Korea a topic that's important in, uh, to the unification movement? Well, uh, I'm, I'm here you know, as the chairman of the Washington Times. I yes, run a yes. media company. Yeah. I also run a series. I I'm chair a group of very talented executives who run companies. Uh, I'm not really representing the unification movement, right. even though I've been a member and involved with that faith community for uh, going on 48 years, if you can imagine that. Now, yeah. I, I'll talk about that as a, as a personal testimony. Mm. Uh, no question about it. There is a, uh, a sense of, uh, let's talk about those core values that are universal values of religious freedom, which Reverend Moon shared with Kim Il-sung. Yeah. Uh, religious freedom in China or in the DPRK. If there was an openness, things would change for the better. The freedom of the press. You know, you wouldn't be able to operate NK News in North Korea uh, or in China. And and so those are, those are in a sense, absolutes that are part of kind of natural law. The human spirit, the human nature wants to be free. Uh, and so with that in mind, human rights is essential. No yeah. question about it. It's unfortunate here in South Korea that human rights is often something that gets pushed into the background when uh, when engaging with North Korea. It, it seems that uh, governments here can only talk about either human rights or engagement, uh, not both at the same time. So I'm just wondering how is it possible to, uh, to walk that line? I think it is. I think it is, especially with a multitude of voices that are in, har that are in harmony, meaning there's, in order to see change, fundamental change in North Korea, it's not one thing or the other. It's got to be comprehensive, just like the human body. I mean, there's the economic side, there's the political freedom, there's the area of information and education. Uh, I think the world is beginning to see uh, a great, I mean, look at the power of Korean culture with K-pop and Korean food and uh, the products that are all over the world from Samsung and LG and uh, SK, et cetera, the, the Hyundai. It's amazing to see the impact of South Korea on the world. And I think what's, I see a phenomenon going on in my travels and my work with colleagues all over the world, uh, that uh, the world's beginning to pay attention to Korea. And there's uh, uh, a mystery about North Korea. 
there's fear. The more that Kim Jong-un fires off missiles, almost like firecrackers in, in the month of January, what in the world is he trying to do? You know, why are we in the 21st century? Why is he putting people into those gulags or those prisons for for speaking their mind or reading a Bible or whatever it, mm-hmm. it is? That has to stop. It's not it's not conducive in the 21st century to where the human race should be. And yet, the paradigm that we've been working on for 70 years of negotiating and the six party talks and all the different amazing work that's going in the diplomatic circle, we're still at somewhat of a stalemate. Mm. So that's where I think I'm putting, I'm betting on this framework of a global community that's mobilized, educated, focused, multifaceted. And there's a push and there's a pull. And, uh, and we also need the clear support of the People's Republic of China and of Russia. The Japan-US-South uh, Korea alliance is essential. The Quad is essential. Perhaps a quint bringing ROK together with Australia, Japan, India, and the US. Right. There's a new, uh, I think there's room now for uh, innovation at a, at a very sophisticated and yet very simple level of geo, geopolitical partners. And that's, UPF wants to play a role there, along with the Washington Times and uh, the other entities. Now, you're uh, in South Korea right now for the the big event that was held last week, uh, at which I was a guest and Mm -hmm. where our friend Michael Breen also spoke, as well as some of the the names you mentioned earlier. Uh, Every year, I think it is, the Universal Peace Federation has a big summit or conference in Seoul uh, with a lot of these big names from from governments around the world to speak. Uh, I believe you brought the the program along with us that uh, we can make available uh, with with a link for people to have a look at what you hold it up let me let me show this to you uh, this is then. a backgrounder the summit uh, summit for peace on the korean peninsula and um i want to mention what's happened over the past several years because the world summits have been a they're, they're a series that we've been doing the, the first was uh, i believe back in 2015 16 we held one in in uh, in senegal in south africa uh we've held them in uh europe and in Brazil, around the world. Right. But uh, the, the big ones are uh, every every couple years in Seoul. Okay. The last was in uh, 2020 at right. Kintext, about 6,000 people. Ban Ki-moon was there, Hun Sen, yeah. uh, Vice President Dick Cheney, Newt Gingrich from the U.S. This year was special. It was so challenging because of the COVID restrictions. Yeah, yeah. this was a hybrid event, wasn't it? Part it was, online, part yes, offline. And, and we've learned from February of 2020 when we finished that World Summit, then, of course, COVID hit. So the organization shifted to be uh, online. And we begin, uh, we, we built a, a terrific studio uh, in the Gapyeong area, uh, a hybrid event. I think it's, it's getting to the point of state of the art with augmented reality and, and a, a global broadcast network that literally reaches hundreds of millions of people. That's one of my team does that mm-hmm. out of Washington together with our partners in Seoul. And so you have a a series of programs we did from uh, March, April of 2020 called the Rallies of Hope. These were three-hour programs, fantastic entertainment. But then you brought in key speakers, like some of the people we've mentioned, uh, that would deliver uh, their messages about the Korean Peninsula. We called it the Rally of Hope, both in terms of a counterpoint to the pandemic that was bringing the world down psychologically, right? Where do you find hope in this kind of era? And it was a wise, sensitive application of a faith mind, a faithful mindset, a faith perspective, coupled with hardcore reality, brilliant statesmanship, wisdom coming from all these different parts of the world. I mean, think about it. You have heads of state, former, a former uh, leader of uh, Nigeria, good luck, Jonathan. He's talking about why the Korean Peninsula matters to Nigeria. Wow. Or Maki Sal, the current president, of Senegal, yeah. same thing. The president of Niger, the uh, the head of Colombia, et cetera, et cetera, around the world. So you have this conversation building over seven different rallies of hope from the spring of 2020 all the way around to August of 2021, where President Donald Trump spoke mm-hmm. and Prime Minister Abe and right. Hun Sen and Ban Ki-moon. Yeah. It got a lot of press. And what did, why did Trump come? Why do we invite that? It was controversial. There's some blowback, you know, why are the unification folks involved with him? 
It's simple. He met Kim Jong-un several yeah. times. He had a story to tell. Right. And uh, and it was valuable. And to hear him and Prime Minister Abe in the same space, uh, you know, it was it, you had to listen. Well, then after that, we moved into a new approach called Think Tank 2022. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage the NK community to check this out because I think there's a, a way we can uh, work together. Think Tank 2022. And by the way, folks, this book, which gives us big backgrounder on all this grand strategy we're talking about, it's not a plan. This is a, a roadmap of what's happened and where we're going. But it's available for free. I'm going to send you the link. Right. It's a flip book. You can right. check it out. But um, I was very involved with my colleagues in, in Washington, Dr. Mike Jenkins, Dr. Thomas Walsh. Our first guest was uh, Mike Pompeo. Mm. And he was in a studio in, in Washington, yeah. gave a, a dramatic 30-minute keynote. And then you had a panel in Korea of experts, a panel in Tokyo, in Seoul, Tokyo, and Washington. That was three-way interaction live. All of that was, of course, recorded, edited, and made available in Korean television and all over the world. We did the second, uh, if I could continue briefly, yeah. with Mike Pence, Vice President Mike Pence. And uh, same kind of model. The third with Jim Rogers on the economics right. of the future of Korea. And uh, a fascinating discussion. And then the fourth was just the other day with uh, Defense Secretary Mike Esper. Uh, same thing, live panels from Korea, Japan, US, and a very thorough discussion of options and ways to look at how to deal with the security matters of the peninsula. So you're dealing with a lot of big themes. You've got a lot of big names. Uh, it surprised me that in South Korea, the summit that happened last week didn't get as much press as I would have expected, given all the names and given Pan Ki-moon's co-hosting. I mean, he was part of the organizing committee uh, together with, with Hun Sen. What was the, the big takeaway of this most recent summit for you? Great question. I do want to counter something, though, Okay. because my team is the one that monitors the pickups oh, all over the world. Okay. And, uh, I mean, soon after the session was adjourned, uh, AP did a story, uh, and their hook to the whole thing was Pence and Pompeo, I'm sorry, Pence and Trump. Spoke, right, right at, uh, President Trump gave a video uh, message, but uh, Pence Mike was Pence live. was here in person. And he gave several, he gave a couple talks, and, and uh, they were brilliant. They're worth looking at to hear what these statesmen are thinking about this. So uh, you always want more press coverage. I think uh, a lot of the content was carried uh, through uh, uh, Chosun TV uh, in, in Korea. But uh, the team that uh, we work with, with the uh, International Media Association for Peace, was very diligent in terms of getting the word out, press releases and broadcast content. Uh, and it was all over the world. The pickups, the reach, is close to a half a half of the global population, three three and a half billion reach in terms of pickups and awareness of what was going on. Was there anyone from the Chinese government uh, involved in the summit at all? Very good question. Uh, not to my knowledge. Yeah. Uh, there were inv invitations extended, uh, uh, especially by, by the co-host. Uh, Ban Ki-moon Ki yeah. and, and Prime Minister Hun Sen. What about the North Korean government? No, uh, but invitations again, were sent. invitations sent, and, right. and I'm sure that they were aware of what was going on, and I'm, I know that uh, uh, briefings were made available. So we clearly want to engage and have uh, representation from those major countries. Because it is hard to talk about Korean unification without the participation of someone from North Korea. Absolutely. It, it's, it feels course. a bit like a one-sided conversation. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, so what do you, I mean, given that, uh, what do you feel is actually achieved and achievable by these big talking shops? Well, that's, uh, that's the essential question. I think, number one, you're raising awareness of the issue, the importance of dealing with the Korean Peninsula. Two, you're engaging a network of nations, as I said before, 157 plus, that are relevant. You're engaging relevant stakeholders who have economic ties, diplomatic ties, uh, security ties to the bo both North and South Korea. You're also creating uh, a multifaceted network of interested parties, partners, et cetera, in the different fields of business, media, uh, 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 arts, faith. Imagine having 
thousands of major influencers in the faith community from the Christian, Catholic, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, Sikh realm, looking at from a faith perspective, why does Korea matter? Why does peace on the Korean Peninsula matter? How do we bring about a change? What uh, Paula White, who was President Trump's spiritual advisor, was a key sp spokesperson, mm -hmm. and there were many others. So uh, that's a big takeaway, uh, the multifaceted aspect. And I think uh, perhaps more important than anything is the engagement of young people, uh, college-age students, even high school students, uh, all over the world, young from millennials to Generation X and Z, etc. Uh, people waking up to the fact that human rights is an issue. We can make a difference about this, and uh, people want to make a difference in their lives. And so I think I'm very proud of that. The work that's gone on to engage uh, the next the uh, the next uh, generation of leaders. I was just on uh, a call uh, before coming to the studio today with some colleagues in Los Angeles who work on college campuses all over America. And uh, they're doing a series of conferences to wake up college students, university students throughout the states on the issues of the Korean Peninsula. So you have a movement developing there in South America, in Asia, all over Europe and Africa, tens of thousands of young leaders waking up to the relevance of the Korean Peninsula. That's fascinating by any stretch of the imagination. Now, uh, Reverend Moon died uh, almost 10 years ago, as you, you said earlier, uh, this summer, you said it was the 10th anniversary. North Korea, you mentioned, sent uh, condolence messages and has done every year since then. Uh, and his widow, uh, Dr. Hakcha Hanmun, has taken over the reins of the, uh, the unification movement and is, is now the leader. Has the, the work involving North Korea or the stance uh, changed at all, or is it uh, sort of a continuation of the same, uh, the same vision? Great question. I appreciate that. It's um, two things. The, 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 uh, the, the, the trajectory has not changed at all. The problem has to be solved. It has to be solved peacefully. That's been a commitment from the time when the organization was founded. But what has changed is the growth, the expansion, the depth, sophistication, of programs that are leading to this end in mind. And I, I have to applaud Dr. Hakchan Moon. Members of the community refer to her affectionately as true mother. She has an amazing mother's heart that has this, in, this intrinsic sacredness that transcends the, the unification group uh, that's really, truly universal. I, I really admire her for, that, for this. And it's the reason why you can pull an audience together that has people from all different persuasions get in an elevator in, in the conference in 2020. There was an anecdote where a key member of the Knesset from Israel and a key member of the Palestinian government were, would never talk to one another, bitter enemies, sworn enemies, in the elevator together, feeling safe, communicating. And that environment that is created out of the UPF ethos yeah. is is not fake and it's because i think of the tone that dr moon puts into this that comes out of this sense of uh, a, a deep sense of uh, appreciation of the heart of uh, true love and humanity and etc so i really applaud her for this and and uh, uh, she's bold very clear feels a calling uh, that is uh, i might say to use a an, an internal term is providential. She's, she's inspired in a way that you just really got to pay attention to what's going on. To what extent is the Universal Peace Federation an arm of the church? It's not at all an arm of the church. I mean, it, the church is a, is a body of believers, yeah. and it has many facets and affiliates that are non-unification, all kinds of interfaith things going on in that sector. Uh -huh. UPF is, a, is a, a, an NGO uh, in the civil society space that's guided by three pillar principles, interdependence, mutual prosperity, and universal values. It's not, it's not a gateway into any particular faith. It has integrity in its mission, its goals. And that's the reason, I mean, I would ask you as a journalist, why do you think someone like, as distinguished as Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, or Vice President Mike Pence, or Prime Minister Hun Sen. These men 
aren't going to risk their reputations simply to come and speak at an event. There's a reason why they feel trust and uh, a willingness to participate. And I think it's simple because what's going on with UPF, what's going on with Dr. Moon is real. It's beneficial, not harmful. It's a plus for your human race. And I think uh, some of the misunderstandings, especially in this part of the world, uh, about the challenges that uh, Reverend Moon, when he came forth in his initial ministry, uh, challenges the status quo to go beyond uh, the confines of one's denomination. And just as you see phenomenal innovation in the fields of technology and medicine and travel, et cetera, uh, there's innovation going on in this realm of thought and of worldview. And I think that's the reason I've been involved is why I, I'm, I continue to be involved, and I will to the last breath of my life, that somehow God is working in com combination with the best of humanity to create a better world. Now, here in South Korea, I, I think it's accurate to say that the ardent hope for unification has dimmed considerably in Good recent point. decades. Uh, young Koreans are not particularly interested in seeing unification happen right mm -hmm. now. Uh, and are quite comfortable with the idea, the reality that there are two careers and would be quite comfortable with the idea of peaceful coexistence of two countries, uh, not having to unite. How does the unification movement deal with that reality? Well, again, uh, I, I, I would speak on behalf of UPF here, because yeah. I do head up the, uh, the uh, under the leadership of Dr. Thomas Walsh, who's just we must have him on this show at some point, and Dr. Michael Jenkins. The three of us work together as as, the, as partners on the same team, and it's a Super Bowl team, and it's a winning team because of the commitment of the people involved. But in terms of this matter of uh, the, the uh, attitudes in South Korea, of uh, especially the younger generation, I think there will there'll, there'll be a transition uh, in the years ahead when, uh, because of the economic situation, the limitations of opportunities of South Korean young people because of the economics here, the job market, et cetera. The world is the stage for Korea. And I would encourage young people who uh, uh, may see a limited future in, in South Korea to realize they can make a massive difference all over the world and deliver value so unique and so precious uh, and not to be limited in their perspectives. Uh, in addition, I think there's a big job for the media, Jocko, and I think it's something we really have to work on. I'm, I'd like to uh, do a conference on this on behalf of the Washington Times, and that is, what's the role of the media in telling the story to educate citizens of the vital importance of Korea Peninsula being united? The economic impact that would meet the needs and exceed the needs of the younger generation in South Korea could be phenomenal if they contribute to this, just as Jim Rogers and others have pointed out. Uh, if the 38th parallel comes down and all those billions of funds that go into military uh, pre preparedness are shifted because civilization mindsets shift, that's maybe some people would say that's just pie in the sky idealism. But it, everything starts with a vision and, a, and, a, and an idea. Uh, so I would say an, a major future for the younger generation in Korea is brighter if the Korean Peninsula makes this transition. And if that becomes the linchpin to transition in all of Asia, especially with the issues of China. Why is Korea so important? Why is it special in the world? Well, I think... Uh, there's there's a number of reasons. I think the heart of the matter certainly you have the geopolitical. The the uh, it's uh, the, the peninsula is in the center of all these major you know partners around around it: China, Russia, Japan, U.S. Pacific, etc. But I think the most important aspect of Korea is the people. My late wife was from Cheolanamdo, and uh, we have five sons. I know the culture well, well and participated with the unification group for many decades. And I've seen from firsthand experience, the Korean people are something special. And there's a, a, a heart, a culture, it goes back millennia. 
and uh, there's something that they're able to connect with the world, uh, live in all kinds, all parts of the world, and embrace the world in ways that uh, that we can all learn from. I think there's a depth of heart. There's a, an inherent sense of harmony, the yin yang side of the coin with spirituality as well as practicality. Uh, there's the tradition, the family values, the work ethic. Uh, it's amazing to see the products that are generated, the technology generated out of South Korea. It's no mystery to me. I think it's quite natural. Not that other cultures aren't essential and precious, but I think the Korean people have something very special to offer. And perhaps the final point I'll make here is this people have, these people have suffered intensely. Possible for Americans to imagine, in my experience, going through the millennia of uh, hardship that, uh, that the peninsula has gone through, being attacked so many times from their neighbors. So um, it's a very special place. And uh, I'm happy to be back. I'm, it's been uh, two years since I was here. Used to come here four or five times a year and would love to spend a lot more time uh, in the country. Does uh, Dr. Hak Chahanwoon hope to visit North Korea for a personal meeting with Kim Jong-un as her late husband did with uh, Kim's grandfather 30 years ago? I think the answer to that is yes, yes, and yes. And uh, when that time comes, uh, I'll be sure to keep NK News alert. So, because I think there'll be some major, some major uh, news coming out of that, right? Mm. But, but uh, yes, I think that at the right time, without a doubt, it would be my hope and prayer that together with such distinguished uh, global uh, influencers like the people we've mentioned, uh, Secretary General uh, Ban Ki-moon, yeah. uh, Hun Sen, uh, you know, Gingrich, Pence, you name it. I mean, an appropriate delegation that would be relevant mm. to opening communication, creating a paradigm shift in the way the world deals with North Korea. I think we can all work towards that. I think we can, all, every media can raise that question, prompted at Kim Jong-un, open up, don't be afraid. There's much more on the other side of uh, the world than you could imagine. Is Ban Ki-moon involved on an ongoing basis uh, with the uh, with the UPF? You I know, know that he's well. He's spoken. He was. We were so grateful for him to serve as the co-host mm. and uh, together with uh, with uh, Hun Sen. Yeah. And and he's spoken. You know, numerous times, going back to his uh, ten years uh, as the Secretary General during his time in New York. But uh, we respect him greatly. Here's the last question: What do you think went wrong in in Hanoi in 2019? Oh, that's a that's a that's a great question. I think that uh, on both sides, to put it simply, expectations from the north didn't jive with expectations from from the U.S. side. Uh, I'm not so sure. Some of the criticism of of President Trump was that was he prepared? Of course, he was prepared, and I think he went in with a certain uncertain intention. And when he saw that it was not going to go the way he expected, he simply withdrew. Same thing that President Reagan did with Gorbachev in Reykjavik. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, he still left that legacy of, of a building a relationship and uh, the dynamic is, is uh, intense. So uh, hopefully um, those kinds of uh, interactions can continue to occur. Well, thank you once again, uh, Tom McDevitt for coming on the show. Uh, WashingtonTimes.com is the uh, the uh, the place to find. Please, yes. Yep. Uh, are you on Twitter at all? Uh, yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. And what, what's it, your, uh... it's uh, I think hashtag Washington Times. Okay. I'll, I'll send those to you, and uh, other social media as well. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you already have an NK News subscription, take a look at our NK Pro platform, which offers unparalleled services specifically catered to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. Inquire about access at membership at nknews.org today. And don't forget, if you have feedback, questions, or guest recommendations, please send them to us at podcast at nknews.org. Our thanks, as always, to Arias Dare and Brian Betts for facilitating this podcast and to Gabby Magnuson, our post-recording producer genius. Thanks for listening and listening again next time. <laughs>